The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Welcome to another episode of Game Changers. My name is Dean Millard. It is my pleasure to have you here checking out this show on Silent Ice TV or listening to it on all of the podcast networks. Man, it is the official hockey season. It is here. It is in full swing. And we haven't even turned the calendar to October yet. But rinks are so busy. Only the NHL has yet to start its regular season. The WHL dropped the puck for real last week. The AJHL has its uh, showcase this weekend. And there's another JPHL showcase out in Delta, BC after three of them last weekend in Lethbridge. Uh, They were also in Morinville and out in Langley. So it has been absolutely wild. And as mentioned, the NHL preseason is underway as well. Today, we have just a two-pack of guests, but Mike Civic, he's big enough to qualify for as two guests. He's the only guy that could ever look Zdeno Chara in the eye during his 30-year illustrious NHL linesing career. He's now the director of officiating with the JPHL and has a lot of passion and knowledge to share. Tally Campbell is the vice president and the GM of the Coquitlam Express in the BC Junior Hockey League. And uh, also an affiliation with Coquitlam HC in the JPHL. So we'll get their thoughts on uh, the changing game, uh, both when it comes to uh, players and officials. But right now, let's get into things with our first guest. It is, yes, Tally Campbell. We'll find out how the new feel of the BCHL is going, as well as how the Coquitlam Express and Coquitlam HC are connected with Express GM Tally Camel. Tally, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, the season is uh, officially underway. I guess the uh, the opening weekend for you, uh, what was it like uh, being back in the ring, seeing all the fans' excitement and seeing the players back on the ice? Yeah, I didn't feel like much like an off-season for us this year, of course, with all the changes in the BCHL and whatnot and, and everything that was going on. So, But no, it's always great to be back at the train station. Our fans are always excited. And although the result uh, you know, on the ice was not what we were hoping for, uh, regardless, so it's great to see, you know, except the fans, the players, everything kind of going again. Uh, we made a lot of change in the off-season in terms of adding a new video board. We renovated uh, our speakers in the building, added a lot of new game elements for our fans, fan experience. So, yeah, no, overall, our, our opening weekend was, was great from an off-ice perspective. And then, obviously, some things to work on, you know, on the ice uh, heading into this weekend. What about the, uh, I guess, uh, some history for uh, Coquitlam, the, the foothold, the, the, the Express, uh, obviously very popular, very busy team, but uh, what is it about uh, Coquitlam and, and the Express and, and why people get excited about this hockey team? Yeah, the club is entering its 22nd year in the BCHL uh, in the city of Coquitlam. There was a small hiatus where they went to Burnaby uh, when the renovations were happening at four-year sports complex. Uh, so I think it was like three to four years they were in Burnaby, uh, won a national championship while they're in Burnaby, still under the express banner, then back into Coquitlam after that. We've been here ever since. You know, uh, The Tri-Cities is one of the fastest growing communities uh, in the lower mainland and probably the province of British Columbia, really. So a lot of new families are moving in. Um, you know, We're centrally located right in Coquitlam, so... 
you know, our high schools across the street, Centennial, we've got a rec center, a senior village, uh, so on and so forth. So it's just that local community, you know, feel that that happens inside the building that people love. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have, you know, over 12 players who are from British Columbia, a lot from the lower mainland. So again, you get that local feel from our organization standpoint. So yeah, again, it's, it's cheap entertainment, you know, it's, it's, you know, 15 to 20 bucks to take, you know, you and, and you and your family out to the game. Uh, a lot of prizes going on, a lot of interactions. Uh, and then again, you get to watch, you know, two and a half hours of hockey. Uh, some of the, you know, greatest hockey players, uh, of course, you know, you look at some of the history of the team, you know, Kyle Turris played for this team along Lou Cheats, Matthew Barzell, the list goes on of, of great talent that has, uh, you know, donned the Express logo. And from what I understand, uh, a pretty unique and, and cool arena uh, that the train station, I think you called it, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to checking it out next year in the JPHL, but uh, tell me a little bit about the home arena. Yeah, the City of Coquitlam did an incredible job of maintaining that facility, always looking at ways of upgrading it. Uh, like you mentioned before, you know, like we've got our new video board that we've, we've put in this year. We've got our new uh, merchandise area that we've renovated this year. So a lot of renovations go on and it's, you know, a three-sheet facility. So obviously the main rink is where we play and practice and there's Arena 2 and Arena 3. And then there's a pool inside the facility. There's there's a weight room. There's a sauna, you know, all the stuff that players get to enjoy as well. So, no, the, the facility itself is, is you know, uh, incredible. Uh, like I said, the city of Quilton do, do an incredible job of maintaining it, uh, updating it when needed to update. And, you know, you walk in the, the rink and you would feel like it was just built last week. That's how, how, how well they take care of it. And, you know, we're very fortunate to be one of the main tenants inside that facility and, and call that our home. Well, and you mentioned earlier that uh, it's been a, a heck of an off-season, not much of an off-season, because there's been so much uh, going on with the BCHL, I guess, over the last couple of years. And, and this just didn't start in the last couple of years, obviously. This has been a, a discussion. But what has it been like, uh, if you can kind of put it into words, reshaping the BCHL over the last couple of years? If there's one word where you can kind of, you know, capitalize everything. So from a fan perspective, from a management perspective to a hockey perspective, the word would be incredible. Uh, the work of the BCHL governors, the work of our BCHL league office, the things that they have done and, and the risks that they've taken to make this league really take that step up have been incredible. You know, the hockey itself is, is 20 to 25% better. There's a new scorecard in place that is making our teams accountable, making sure that we're reaching standards that are the top notch junior hockey across North America. Um, you know, what we're having to offer our players is incredible from the on ice perspective, but also the off ice perspective, you know, whether it be the gym, the fitness facilities, you know, the yoga, everything that we have to do as an organization. So uh, all that is incredible. Again, you know, they're, they're, you know, asking, you know, the organizations to take a step up in the off, you know, ice portion of it all. That's why we've got a new video board now. So you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, uh, you know, kind of carbon copy what the National Hockey League does, right? If you go to Roger Arena and you see the KISS cam, well, we're hoping the BCHLs will also have KISS cams now and, and more interaction with fans. And, you know, still while providing a, a opportunity for BC local kids to, to know where they can play, you know, high-level hockey. Uh, again, we have a minimum standard of how many BC players that we have to have on our on our rosters, every single team in our league. And, you know, again, I just talked about before, we've got 12 kids this year. We had 14 last year. We'll maintain to keep having that high standard of, of local, you know, athletes that will play for us. So, yeah, the things the league's doing, the things they're opening up, you know, it's it has not been easy. I know there have been challenges, and the challenges continue just as of today with, with the new rule Hockey Canada's come out with. But regardless of that, you know, we have a vision in place of what we want this league to look like. And we're slowly taking the step and you know, again, this is nothing new. This league is 61 years old. There has been a track record of, of, of successful players who've gone through this league, whether it be guys who've made the National Hockey League or guys who are now successful businessmen, lawyers, doctors, so on and so forth that have gotten college degrees, you know, from the BCHL. And that's our, our prime focus is that, you know, kids need a choice, right? If, if they want to go major junior, that's fine. We're not holding them back for that. But there are a lot of kids who want to get a degree from hockey, from from what they do and what they love. And, and that's just what our option is, is providing that opportunity. And so, yeah, I would just say the, the word is incredible. Uh, you'll, you'll start seeing it obviously in the rinks with the, the level of talent that will be on the ice in BCHL games to what we're doing in the off ice, really taking that step to the next level. And and you mentioned, uh, you know, Hockey Canada is continually um, coming out with different things or opinions about independent leagues and the new thing today about uh, uh, facing suspensions. You know, I, I know how you feel about it and how I feel about it. Uh, this, to me, is just doing things for the players that we do not want to do. But... Um, 
I think this is putting the BCHL, and obviously you guys think this is putting the BCHL in a better position for today and the future, which is why you guys are looking at this. And, and you know, Hockey Canada and the associations will do their thing, and, and everybody else in the independent leagues can do their own thing. 100%, right? Like, like there's there's nothing that, that I'm sitting here saying that Hockey Canada has, has you know, done wrong or, or you know, why there, there's certain things they've done. We just see things a little differently, right? And we want to be able to have a, a level playing field for kids who want to choose the college tracking route. That's all we're saying from an organization standpoint, right? Uh, you know, I'm personally still a big supporter of Hockey Canada. I own a team, you know, in the newly formed Junior A League in British Columbia uh, in the VIJHL. So I'm still a supporter of Hockey Canada and their systems and what they do. But at the same time, you know, you have to balance it out of what we're trying to do in the BCHL. And the reality was the BCHL is the top-notch Junior A League uh, in Canada. That's the reality, right? Facts don't lie. We send more kids to NCAA, you know, scholarships and the other combined leagues in total. We send more guys to NHL you know, than more than the leagues combined. Like, so there's just things that you got to face in reality that, you know, the, the level playing field was not there anymore, you know, and I use the prime example of, you know, a local kid in, in North Vancouver, Connor Bedard, he can leave his province of British Columbia at, at a high school age to go play in Regina. That's fine. That that's, that's the way it should be. But then you go look at a kid who might be in Ontario who wants to come play in the BCHL, who's entering his grade 12 year. And he's decided that he wants to go to college hockey. That's his route. He's chosen but he can't come to BC because there's so much red tape in place. And that just was not fair. And that's one of the many examples so far um, that why we decided to take the leap of faith and go independent. But again, it's not saying that what Hockey Canada is doing is, is, is wrong or the models they're doing because that model always exists. Minor hockey associations will have a, a way to operate through minor, through Hockey Canada, but independent leagues need to also have their own way of doing things too. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my hope, you know, as a fan of the game, uh, I love this game a lot. I've got nephews who play, um, you know, someone who obviously is in management in the game, both as an owner and as a general manager in, in a league that's independent, but also a league that's not independent, is that both parties are going to get together and work things out. Um, because, again, we're not punishing anyone besides the kids here, right? Hockey Canada ruling today that, you know, you'll be suspended for an entire year and there's no appeal process to get back into Hockey Canada if you are, you know, released from a, a non-sanctioned league is not punishing me. Right. Like I don't get punished if, if I end up releasing a kid on October 15th. You know, the only person that gets punished is that kid. And, and that's where I really, really, really have a hard time grasping with that is, is you know, you, you, the rules you're trying to put in place have no real barriers on, you know, teams, no real barriers on management. You know, the barrier then is on the kid. And, and, and the goal that we have in this business, whether you're part of Hockey Canada, whether you're part of, of Silent Ice and the JPHL, whether you're part of the BCHL, whatever it is, is provide opportunities for these kids. And, and we, we cannot, you know, allow the politics and the bureaucracy, you know, in the boardroom, you know, seep over to the kids because then, then now we're all doing our jobs wrong. That's the end of the day. We're all doing our jobs wrong. And that's not something we want to do. I totally agree. The the people that do suffer are are the the, the players and and I would say the the officials too. There was a lot of talk about oh these independent leagues will not be able to attract officials and I don't think that's the case. I've I've seen them in the JPHL BCHL games have gone on. So I think there was a lot of fear mongering uh, in the off season about this is going to happen and this is going to happen and none of those things have happened. No, 100%, right? Like, that was one of the biggest things they said was, you know, insurance. You'll not be covered under an independent model. And I can tell you right now, the insurance the BCHL has is actually better than what Hockey Canada had um, or currently does have, as far as I know. Um, you know, no different than the officials, right? The officials want to be able to, you know, officiate more than just one league, but they have been handcuffed by Hockey Canada. So they've had to t take a, ch a stance and a choice. And, and a lot of them chose the BCHL because, again, the reputation that the BCHL has, a lot chose JPHL, right? It's it's great for me now, again, being part of both you. 18 team here in Coquitlam with the JPHL group and then my Express and the BCHL is I'm going to see referees in both now, right? Referees who are developing the U18 level who then hopefully will then go in the BCHL at some point. Go back to the, the whole factor of who this is hurting and, and all it is hurting is minor hockey association. The Greater Trail Minor Hockey Association sent out that release saying that they might not be able to have games this year because they may be low in officials because again, officials have been chose that you have to choose one or the other. You go back to staffing, right? I have an assistant general manager in, in Coquitlam who has kids who play in a small minor hockey association in Lower Mainland who do not have enough coaches right now. And he is, again, he is someone who has all his credentials, all his certifications to coach at the BCHL level. 
and he can't go coach his own daughter's hockey team because he's part of a non-sanctioned league. This is where it really starts to grind my gears more than as an executive in the BCHL, just as a, as a person who loves this sport and a person who wants to see, you know, opportunities given. And, and this is a prime example, whether it's the officials we're talking about, whether it's the affiliation process that we're losing with junior B teams and, and U18 programs, or again, the, the staffing that, that again. So now that association has to go find someone who, you know, can barely coach or doesn't know a lot about the game of hockey, but wants to give back. Instead, now they're losing someone who has been played in the BCHL for three years, went and played ECHL and has coached mm-hmm. the high level and is an assistant general manager in the BCHL, all because we want to, you know, again, try and get politics involved in, in hurting the kids, you know? So uh, again, this is where I get super frustrated. I get super mad again, you know, and that's taking my executive hat off. That is just me being a fan of the game, having nephews, a part of minor hockey. Now, um, you know, we really, really got to be able to work together for, for the greater good and the greater good is the future hockey players, the future players that, you know, will end up either going WHL or OHL or BCHL or AJHL or wherever the routes may take them. We don't know that. It's not our job to interfere in that. Our job is provide opportunity at all levels. Yeah, the options are there. When I was a kid, there was one option. Now there's many options. I don't know why people seem to be afraid of choice. The the insurance thing boggles my mind. There is not a parent in the world that would ever put their child in a league without insurance. It is just simply nonsense to even bring that up. That's the first. Oh, you don't have insurance? Bye. I'm I'm hanging up. That it just would it would just never happen. So it's kind of silly. Uh, this is probably maybe too early of a question, but how do you think? think this uh, will impact recruiting or has it already had an impact? Oh, it's massive, right? When the news came out, uh, you know, that we were going independent, you know, the the phones were off the hook. And then when we announced that we're going to have two European players allowed, you know, in our league in each team, again, you know, phones went off the hook. That's why I talk a lot about it being a very busy offseason because we had to watch so much more footage because there was more opportunity for players to come to the BCHL, right? And so a lot of it was learning and, and, and kind of taking everything in, but at the same time is we had to be very busy because, you know, there's only so many players out there that, you know, can play the high level in the BCHL. So already I would say that the league itself has, you know, increased its talent base by 20 to 30%. Um, I've been the BCHL 11 years now. I've been five years as a general manager. Um, I have never had so many college coaches during exhibition, during preseason, want to talk to our players. And, and when I was talking to coaches, whether it was the guys from RIT or or Princeton or Brown University or whatever it may be, you know, they're saying that the league has really gotten better and we can already notice that just in preseason. So I expect that to continue to keep going as, again, the league, you know, proves itself. Again, we have 61 years of history to prove ourselves. This is a brand new thing we're doing. So there is some skepticism still with it. But once the league proves themselves, then again, it'll be that, you know, another step up, right? So you'll really see that come our Seattle showcase um, in in mid-October because, again, every school is confirmed to attend there. Every NHL team is confirmed to attend there. Uh, multiple scouts, right? Like I was chatting with the Toronto Maple Leafs the other day and the Calgary Flames, and, you know, they're sending three to four scouts, you know, to that event. The Seattle Kraken are hosting their scouting meetings during that week now, you know, in <laughs> Seattle where we're hosting our showcase. So that level of, of interest and level of, of buy-in from the college schools and from the NHL teams proved to us right away early on that, you know, what we're doing is working. And again, we've already set a record in the BCHL for most guys, you know, committed already early on this year uh, than what we have in previous years. And I think we'll be able to, to, you know, knock that out of the park. You know, over 200 kids will likely receive an NCAA scholarship this year in the BCHL. Uh, it's fantastic. And and you're right. Uh, the, the scouts, the schools, uh, they know the talent is still there. They know uh, even more talent is there. So they're, they're paying attention. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Coquitlam HC, as you mentioned, uh, in the JPHL. Love the jerseys. Can't wait to see them in person. Um, tell me about the connection between the Express and Coquitlam HC and, and kind of why this is important for you. Yeah, so when we obviously were going independent, we were learning the rules that we would not be able to affiliate any players that were not part of, you know, the, the unsanctioned world, let's call it, um, you know, the independent world. You know, we had to actually, and obviously the JPHL had a bit of, you know, uh, a year on it. And so what I called Richard, the commissioner there, and said, hey, you know, Coquitlam's very interested. What do we got to do to make sure we get a team in this year? And there's a lot of obviously process in place where, you know, we had to get our school on board, Centennial School. We had to get the city of Coquitlam on board. You know, we had to get a few of our ducks in a row. And, you know, Richard, uh, you know, and I probably went back and forth 
board, you know, 50 times in, in three days, making sure that we're able to get everything done in, in time. And so there was a very, very short time frame to get it done. But, you know, again, kudos to the people around us that support this organization, you know, Centennial School, Anthony, the principal there, the city of Coquitlam, Finn, the, this, the, the arena manager, and then my staff as well here to really kind of get things rolling. And we're able to secure a team at the end of, of May, early June. And so it's been a bit of a learning process for us. Again, it's a first year team. We're trying to obviously, you know, copy the, what we do with the BCHL Express and provide a development opportunity for players who want to go college hockey. Like that's our whole focus here is, you know, you know, we may not be the best team on the ice every single day, but we'll be one of the hardest working teams. You know, our guys practice five days a week. They're in the gym two days a week. They're doing yoga. Uh, we have study sessions to make sure obviously schooling is up to date and tutors and whatnot. So, you know, our prime focus for this club was we want to make sure these guys learn the systems that the Express learn. They can be called up to AP. They can be called up to practice. And hopefully, you know, every year we're signing two to three guys from the U18 team to the Express. And if not the Express, we're providing opportunities for them to sign other BCHL teams or AJ teams or whatnot. Not. So, yeah, no, it was, it was an exciting thing for us. You know, we're super thankful the JPHL, you know, welcomed us with open arms and said, you know, yeah, we'd love to have a team in Coquitlam. And then we just started rolling with it. So it's been a lot of fun. I take my hat off to, to everyone at the JPHL and Silent Ice. You know, they provide a, a top-notch league. You know, it's been super welcoming from all the teams, whether we're dealing with Langley or the Island HC or, you know, we're getting ready for obviously for one of our first trips, you know, into Alberta. And, you know, everyone's been great, you know, accommodating and making things happen. And, and again, it just shows to me that, you know, this we're all competitors on the ice. We all want to win mm -hmm. at the end of the day, but we're all friends and supporters off the ice. And, and that's my whole thing is we want to support each other. If I need a player, I can call Langley and say, hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm short of guys or anything we can help me out. And they're like, yeah, definitely. And that's what we need to see in the hockey world and, and everything, business, everything, right? But it's great to finally see in the hockey world is everyone working together for the greater common good, which again goes back to the players. We all want to see the players succeed. We want to see them succeed off the ice and on the ice. So for us, it, it was just a no-brainer that we had to get a U18 team in here, again, for the development purposes, to help players get ready for the BCHL, be able for us to AP players and start to create that model. And, you know, our hope, obviously, is that we'll have, you know, four JPHL teams moving forward into next year and then have a full hub here uh, in Coquitlam. And, you know, again, kudos to the city of Coquitlam for, for supporting us on that. You know, kudos to the Centennial High School for supporting us on that. And, again, the staff around us because everyone's kind of been, been chipping in to make this work. And, you know, kudos to 20 players we've got who, again, who were the first-year players for our organization as we kind of learn you know and navigate the waters of u18 and so far i'm pretty happy you know we had this today alone we had four guys from our u18 team out with the express and already yeah. from from day one to to you know 20 whatever to six days this time we're talking we've already seen the progress in players again our big thing is that when we teach the express the systems we teach the u18 level so when they get called up there's no difference and and that's our whole plan when we get to start with u14s all the way up is we will learn the systems and get those players ready for the bchl yeah, it's uh, it's you know, like you you look at the the European soccer model, and there's feeder systems all the way up, and it seems weird that we haven't really developed that fully in in the hockey model uh, for for this situation. So I, I think it's a, it's a great one, and you know the the hockey has been good so far. I can't wait to see Coquitlam HC. I can't wait to get out and and see that arena next year when uh, the JPHL is playing in that. Uh, but these leagues, uh, are you anticipating that? we are going to see more and more. I mean, there's already rumblings in Alberta. Will the AJ follow suit with the BCHL? Will the SJ? Will some Ontario leagues? Uh, and then, you know, at the youth level in Canada and the United States, there's a lot more leagues that are saying, we want to do it a little bit differently. And th that just seems to me that we're kind of on the, the iceberg uh, model right now. What we see above the surface is 10% of what might grow and what's bubbling underneath. It always takes one person, one organization, one association to take the, the step, right? And and I'm super thankful to be in that organization of the BCHL that said enough is enough and we want to see change. We want to do things a little bit differently that work wet, better for us. And, and I think what you'll start seeing is the success of the organization, the success of the league, the success of its players, which we're already seeing early on and will continue will continue to build, right? There'll be teams in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, there'll be teams in the SJ and, and teams across, you know, Canada that start saying, you know what, maybe this model does work. You know, maybe we should reach out to the BCHL and find the steps that they took to do it. And no different than, you know, what people are doing with the JPHL, reaching out and saying, you know, how did you guys do it? How does your model work? How, how can we kind of carbon copy that so it works with our organization? You know, again, you talk about that soccer model. This is what this is, right? It's, it's crazy that it took us so long to figure this out, you know, but now that it's kind of figured out and the JPHL took that leap and the BCHL has taken that leap, you know, I, I guarantee you, you'll start seeing other teams in other leagues wanting to do the exact same thing because, again, 
you're kind of at your own, you know, destination now. You get to decide where you get to go next and you get to work with your, your other governors and other team owners and managers and coaches and, and to figure that out. And, and again, that's why I talk about that that collaboration with the JPHL. That's why I talk about that that synergy when I'm working and, and, and people are opening their arms to work with each other to help the players. Like that's why we're in this business, you know, is, is to support our players, support our organizations and, and find ways to flourish. And again, I, I truly, truly do believe, you know, from, from, again, from a manager's perspective, but also a fan perspective that, you know, the BCHL success this year, the JPHL success this past two years now, um, you know, is really going to shift the change in how people look at, the, at the, how we operate, you know, in, in this country of hockey. And I guarantee you, you'll see more independent leagues pop up very, very soon. Honestly, as you mentioned, Dean, a lot of, you know, rumblings are ready to going on. I hear it every single day. You know, there's a couple OJ teams, a couple AJ teams, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I think, you know, you're going to start seeing it very soon. And, you know, I don't want to get into the mudslinging here, but there's reasons Hockey Canada is putting more red tape up. You know, they're nervous. They're, they're nervous it's going to keep happening. So they want to put up as much red tape as possible, which, again, is very unfortunate for the players. But they want to put as much red tape as possible to try and limit this because I think they see the writing on the wall, too that, man, if the BCHL has a successful year, which already is indicating very early on it's going to, the JPHL in its second year is going to have successful operation, this may blow up. And this may be blow up for a good thing for a lot of people across this country. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, we might be talking one year from now, Dean, and we're having a conversation about AJ teams that are independent and some SJ teams or whatnot. Uh, again, th there's nothing wrong with that, right? There, there, There's opportunities out there, right? And, and again, we're not sitting here saying that, you know, if you go to the WHL, we're going to blacklist you, right? Not at right. all, right? right. I, I had no six player, Coco Armstrong, who called me in the summertime and said, Tally, I'm going to go try on Spokane. My words to him was, good luck, buddy, right? Yeah. Like, I'd love to have you back, but if that's your dream, I'm going to support you. He arrived in Spokane. I checked up on him. I checked up on his family. How you doing? I saw you scored the goal on, on, on social media. You know, like, like that's the way we want to do things. And I would hope that it would be reciprocal as well from the WHL or whatever, you know, Hockey Canada in supporting the players and what they choose to do. Because again, you know, choice is a big thing in life, um, whether it be what you want to do in college, what team you want to play for, what league you want to play for, and, and you know, be able to provide this choice, I think is, is massive. Well, yeah, the word inclusivity has been used a lot uh, in the last little while. And uh, I know the JPHL and the BCHL and some of these independent leagues, they say, hey, if you want to be in our league and you want to be in somebody else's league, there is no problem. We want everybody to be involved and grow, not not hold back. And, and unfortunately, it's not inclusivity when you're suspending a player because he tried out in another league. And so inclusivity is a word that uh, is, is a bit of a buzzword right now. And it's not happening in some leagues, so it, it it'll be interesting to to watch this as it goes. And you're right; in a year from now, we don't even know what could be developing. And that's exactly it, right? And, and I'm glad you used that word inclusivity because, again, that is the buzzword that everyone likes to use. And you know, it, it, it's not happening right now. You know, I I could sit here and again, I'm not going to get into mudslinging. You know, but I could sit here right now and, and tell you a story about a WHL player that reached out to me and I signed him. And you know, now he's been suspended and told that he shouldn't be on the ice with us right now because he's been suspended by the WHL. Right. And and again, like we're trying to avoid that 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 that, that mudslinging contest. It's not what we want to we want it to be right. We want it to be an opportunity for players to choose where they want to play and have that opportunity to, again, you know, have that that choice. So. Yeah, I, 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 I feel you on that front. Again, you know, who knows what's going to happen next year. But right now, we're like I said, we're 26 days into September. Our season just began last week. And the success that we're already seeing in our organization and from the players in our, in our league right now is, is phenomenal. Um, and, and just the, the feedback we're receiving from National Hockey League teams and NCAA teams has been incredible. Tally, thanks so much for the time. Love the passion and uh, can't wait to get out to Coquitlam and to meet you in person. Thanks very much for joining us on Game Changers. Thanks, Dean. That was a fun uh, and passionate conversation uh, with Tally Campbell of the Coquitlam Express, the BCHL. As for the AJHL, the showcase is taking place right now in Calgary. The Spruce Grove Saints face Olds Friday night and 8 p.m. Saturday night, or, or at 8 p.m. on Friday night. Then Saturday night, home to Drumheller. And as always, Brandon Ewan Cheshin has the call on the Saints Radio Network and Flow Hockey. You can get tickets at sprucegrovesaints.ca and you can also check out other great features on the Saints website. Uh, as for the Seattle Thunderbirds, 
they finally get to play again. They had their season opener last week. A number of JPHL alumni involved in that game, as well as a whole bunch across the league. They'll unveil their banner this weekend, Saturday night in Kent, Washington. Portland is in town. Big night for the players and their families. You can check out more at the Seattle Thunderbirds website. And the JPHL continues on one front, three divisions this weekend. You can find out more information at Junior Prospects hockeyleague.com and you can watch all of the games on silenticetv.com U14, U15, U17 in Delta BC. 17 games in total starting Friday morning and drifting right into Monday and all games of course on silenticetv.com I will be making my way uh, out to Delta BC for this weekend and really looking forward to uh, seeing some of the excellent hockey that, you know, really has been uh, going on for the last couple of weeks uh, out in BC. I was in Williams Lake and uh, can't wait to get back out there and check things out. Okay, on to now our Pond to the Pros segment. And this is going to be fun. Trust me, you will love this conversation that we are going to bring you with former NHL linesman Mike Civic, who is now shaping future officials in the JPHL after a career of more than 1,800 NHL games and the 2002 Salt Lake Olympics. Now, the JPHL Director of Officiating, Mike Civic. Mike, it's uh, great to chat with you. It was good to be down in uh, Lethbridge uh, last weekend uh, to watch uh, those, uh, the United, have a showcase. I think that's pretty cool for those guys to have their own home games. Uh, you, you've been to uh, a lot of these different showcases. They're starting to grow, and we're starting to see more people come and check them out, aren't we? Yeah, especially, you know, um, uh, you know, Lethbridge was a new franchise with us last year, and uh you know, they traveled quite a bit. I don't believe we had one down there last year. So they traveled everywhere to join us in showcases. And for them to host one in their backyard, in their home rink, uh, was fabulous. The crowd was fantastic Friday night. And even on Sunday night, you know, for their final game, we had a, we had a pretty good crowd there. So it, uh, it, it's, it, it's really cool to see the, I guess, the interest from the Lethbridge community as to what, this jphl is all about yeah and we saw the same thing when i was up in williams lake for for the players and the coaches and the parents to be able to say yes this is what our league is other than what they see on on television and uh you know it's it's fun to see you around the rink and be able to talk about uh your career uh so many years as a linesman how did you ever get involved and did you ever think way back then when you started as an official that this would be a career for you that would last so long I kind of just fell into it, actually. My dad was a police officer, so he worked a lot of uh, shift work, and I was just a B hockey player. Uh, my brother was a goaltender, and he got into the AA program, so he was a lot of practices and a lot of games, and I was the one that ended up always dri- seemed to be driving him to his games. And at that point, there was um, a rift between... The Alberta Amateur Hockey Association referees at the time regarding helmets versus non-helmets. So my brother's coach always saw me at the rink, knew I played, uh, just came to me one day and said, listen, you're always at the rink. Why don't you be our referee? I'll give you $30 a game. You go out, you referee with another dad from the other team. And uh, that's kind of how I got started. And in that process, I was working a game one one early morning at West Mount Pleasant and uh, just doing my thing. And I, I think it was back then we called it tiny mites. I couldn't tell you what, what it is now. Um, but a gentleman that I, he introduced himself to me after the game. His name was Del Wilson. I had no idea who he was. Um, I was told later that he was the commissioner of the Western Hockey League. And he basically just said, you know, I'll give you a little bit of advice. Do this, do this, keep working hard. You're doing a really good job out there. And, I just progressed through um, Alberta Amateur Hockey. Um, I was told, you know, why don't you come to a clinic uh, to be a certified referee? I was like, well, am I not a certified referee? I'm getting paid. (laughs) 
And the guy said, no, you, you needed to attend a weekend clinic. I attended the weekend clinic. Uh, Sunday after the clinic, the gentleman who was running the clinic said to me, listen, do you want to do you want to be uh, a linesman in a midget B game tonight? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, okay. That's how I got started and just kind of worked my way through the ranks. And at that time, I never thought I'd ever look at it as a career. I always wanted to be an airline pilot. I thought it was the coolest thing to fly an airplane. And was a little disappointed when I went to a job fair to find out at that point in time, I was a little too tall to be a pilot. Right. And um, I just, I got involved in uh, the Alberta Junior Hockey League, got scouted from the Alberta Junior League into the Western League. And I attended a, uh, a Western Hockey League clinic, uh, a camp run by, um, uh, let's see, it was Kerry Fraser, Dan Marawelli, um, and uh, uh, there was one other character, uh, Randy Mitten. Hmm. And uh, um, Wayne Forsey was there. He was just newly hired by the NHL. And uh, I got some good reviews. And they, they said, you know, just keep working hard. You know, um, you, you might be able to, you know, get, uh, get to the highest level uh, in, in amateur hockey. And uh, I just kind of kept working hard, uh, kept going back to the camps. And um, one year they sent out uh, Scotty Morrison and uh, Scotty saw me. And uh, I guess that's when I got on the radar of the uh, National Hockey League and uh, just kept working my games and, uh, you know, just right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Wayne Forsey decided to retire. And I got a call from John McCauley saying, hey, you know, we had some things going on in the office and uh, we'd like to hire you. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's, you know, uh, you wanted to be a pilot. Uh, that didn't work out, but you did get to fly all around uh, North America covering games. And, you know, that path that you described is is, is obviously uh, quite different than the path that officials get now. Now it's so streamlined. And, you know, even when I was a young kid refing, uh, the, the clinics are, are numerous now, and there's obviously different leagues. I mean, the, the path that you took compared to the path today, quite different. Oh yeah, like it, it was actually we were quite surprised that you know there's uh, Brad Lazarowicz and myself. Um, we never spent any time in the American Hockey League. We went right from the Western Hockey League to the National Hockey League, which was a huge step. Um, the, the normal progression was you go from junior hockey, you go to the American League, work some games. The guys in the East are a lot uh, a lot luckier than we are because they've got the East Coast League out there. And they have some other semi-pro hockey that we don't have out here. And for us to get there, it's very expensive. So they don't uh, they don't do that. They continue to watch us in the Western League. And you know we're lucky now we're getting some American Hockey League franchises here. But when I was uh, doing my stuff in the Western League, it was the Western Hockey League was it. The closest American Hockey League team we had was Salt Lake City, and uh, nobody was going to be flying me to Salt Lake City to work games. So it was kind of uh, a a different path now that there's so many leagues and there's so many different ways to get to the National Hockey League now. It's, uh, you know, as as a career official, I guess, you know, you just go out, you work, you attend these camps. Um, If you're good enough, other leagues get interested in you and then they they look at you and maybe taking you down and, and putting you in an apartment in the U.S. with four or five other officials call it your home base and they and they send you out and you do your assignments out of there or you become an ex-player who starts refereeing and uh, you kind of get fast-tracked through the system there Um, we never had very well I mean we had a few players that did it but they went back after they retired they went back to their uh, centers started in minor hockey and worked their way through the system now uh, an ex-player kind of gets stuck in. Uh, okay, well, we got to get you into junior hockey, and then we got to get you to the Western League, and get you to the American League as fast as they can, so that they can get you through the system. Yeah, and um, I, I I look at uh, a guy like yourself that had such a long career, thirty years, uh, and I'm always curious of of. After that career, do you look back at your retirement and say, yeah, I knew I was ready to retire? I remember some players are like, I could have kept playing. I wanted to keep playing. And I know the referees are always, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're bringing in new blood as guys retire. How did you know after 30 years that you were ready to retire and did you miss it right away? 
Well, um, about four years before um, I was retired, um, we started having conversations with our boss as, as to kind of like a game plan as, as to you leaving the ice. And I, I always, you know, uh, one of my goals was to work 2,000 games. I never thought about 2,000 games ever until you get near your end of your career and you see, okay, I'm at uh, 1,700. If I want to work 2,000, it's six more years. Um, I'll be 53, you know, so you start doing the math and in your head, you're going like, yeah, I think I could still do this job at, you know, 53, 54, 55. And as we're getting older, the players were getting younger. And I, I fought my boss a little cause I didn't want to leave when I, when I did. But in saying that too, I think deep down inside, my body was telling me, dude, you've had enough. Like your <laughs> knees are done. Your hips are done. Um, you know, you're, you're not as mobile as you used to be. Uh, one of my, I guess, best traits was I was, you know, a big guy who could move and get out of the way and, and you know, then break up fights and stuff like this. But as, as you get older, the, the, the mind says you're doing a lot of things, but the body is not doing it. So um, when I left in 2016, it was like, you know, I, I left with a broken foot. So I was, you know, I, I, had, I had a year to heal that up so it was there was a reminder every day for a year that you know i'm walking around like a like a limpy guy because I'm, I'm still on a broken foot and they didn't want to do surgery on it which i was i was okay with but um I, deep down inside it was like yeah you know what my, my body's done <laughs> like the mind is there if if they could have transplanted my mind into a 20 year old it would sure. have been great but my my body was like uh, no, dude, you're done. And, you know, I'm paying the price now, but, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. It's just like a player. Some of the players say, yeah, I, I realize I'm, you know, I just, I'm not as fast. And, and, and people don't realize that while officials aren't getting body checked on a regular basis, it is such a physical game that you are taking a pounding uh, as an, as an official. So, so I don't think people realize you know, how uh, the, the physical pounding can, can take a toll. And, you know, just like the players' motivation is to try to play in the Stanley Cup Finals, same thing for you guys. That's your motivation. And those playoff games, those final games, are those um, kind of when you look back at your career and say that was really the, the highest point and the pinnacle of it? Yeah, you always you, you always want to be known as one of the best in, in, in your craft. And, and how we get judged is you know, did you get to the Stanley Cup Finals? Um, we've had a lot of guys that have. Um, they're being more liberal with it now. In, in, uh, back in my era, it was always you went to training camp and you knew it was going to be John D'Amico and Ray Scampanello, uh, Kevin Collins, and probably Gerard Gauthier working the finals every year. So you went to camp going, I just want to get into the playoffs and maybe get to the first round or maybe get to the second round. Then I've had a successful year. When uh, Andy Van Halen and, and then Terry Gregson and Stephen Wacom came in, they started to get rid of that, you know, um, kind of you get to camp and you've already, you, you've already got slotted in who's going to work the Stanley Cup Finals. Now it's, you know, they, there's motivation for each and every one of our officials to go out and work hard to try to get there because they do, they, they, they do change names and uh, personnel uh, in the playoffs and, and in the Stanley cup finals, which is good because I think it's, it's healthy because it creates not only competition among the officials, but it also, I believe creates cohesion between all officials because now we're all rooting for each other because at the start of the year, every one of us has a chance. And when you have that belief and, 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 and you have that drive that you might have a chance, you, you always go out and, and you work harder and, and you want to strive to be the best every night. You don't, you don't start taking extra nights off because you're like uh, middle of February in the dog days. You're like, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm only going to get to the first round anyway, so why am I going to bust, bust my ass tonight? Where this new philosophy is, I want to bust my ass every night because I want to be known as the guy that shows up every night so that at the end of the season, I get rewarded for that. 
Yeah, based on merit, which is, uh, the, you know, the way most things should be. And, and of course, uh, the Stanley Cup final um, is one of the most amazing things. But the Olympic gold medal game and the Olympics <laughs> in 2002, I mean, just working those games compared to the NHL. And the NHL is the, you know, still, I think, the, the fastest sport in the world as far as uh, speed is concerned of, of the players moving. How how much faster was that Olympic uh, atmosphere? Were, were you guys like, oh, wow, this is like a, a step or two above? Or was it still pretty noticeable compared to the NHL? Um, I would say back then, it, we probably didn't realize how much better the hockey was. Um because we're right we're right in the middle of it. And again, we're competing against all of our other officials to you want to get to a medal game. So you're working hard every night and you're you're watching games, you're watching the other guys work. How what would I do here? What would I, you know, what would I do different? And when you're in the moment, it's it, it like it, it's just like a you, you blink and it's you're there and then it's done. But after uh, you know Bill McCreary and I were were talking, you know, the, the next year at training camp, just how talented and how fast those games actually were compared to National Hockey League games. Now we get you know back then we had some really good fast hockey games, but this was two weeks of intense fast hockey because every game mattered. They the the teams couldn't take a night off. Every win was crucial, so they played hard every night, and we had to match that intensity every night. And uh, you know, I got home after the Olympics, and it's it's it, it's easy to see why the league says take a week off when you get home, because man, you're physically and you are mentally drained. But what a great feeling that is! I mean, when we stepped on the we stepped into the rink uh, when Bill and I walked across the parking lot there was lineups of people outside and we went two and a half hours before game time and you could hear the chance of go Canada, go. And then USA, USA. And this is like two and a half hours before game time. And it was, it was electric and we got into the rink and uh, you know, Gary came in and gave us our, our little, you know, you're here, do a good job. (laughs) You know, you're here for a reason. And uh, man, what a game it was. It was, uh, probably one of one of my most memorable games ever yeah i the the memories of that game are are right here for me it was it was uh, so much fun uh and and we talk about the change in the game uh for the players obviously bigger stronger faster what about the officials how has the game changed the the biggest thing is the addition of another body on the ice but what are some of the changes for officials the bigger ones in the last 10 years that you've seen well, I think the biggest one is, you know, now it, because it's such a speed game in the National Hockey League, um, the officials also have to match the speed of the game. They've got to move their feet because, you know, two passes and the puck is gone 120 feet. And if we're not moving our feet, we're stuck. We lose sight lines. When you have bad sight lines, you don't make good judgments because you're not you're not viewing the play properly. And the skating and, and, and being in, in position to see things is, is probably the biggest change that, that's come in the game. Before, you used to have, you know, say the Atlanta, you know, before, what, the Atlanta Flames before they, you know, they came to Calgary. You know, they, they had one or two really good players, and then they were just a bunch of muckers. So you get into that game, and you knew it was going to be a muddy game. It was just like, they're going to try to slow things down. They're... they're they're going to do everything they can to slow the other team down. Now every team is fast. Your fourth line player now not only has to be able to skate, but they also have to be able to play the game and handle the puck. It's not just a fourth line guy to go out and beat somebody up, sit on the bench, tap him on the shoulder with eight seconds left and say, go beat that guy up. Uh, We don't have a lot of that anymore because the game is so fast and these players are so skilled and so talented that our, our officials need to be on their toes. They have to be engaged in the game right from the, from the drop of the puck to the, to the end of the game. And if they're not, they get, uh, they get caught in the way. They don't react to things right away. Um, just a whole litany of things can go wrong. And, I mean, you were in Lethbridge. You saw, you saw it in the last game of the night. 
uh, on Sunday. It was, uh, our guys were tired and that, uh, that happened, you know, we had a call about that and that's on, uh, you know, Scott and myself for, you know, having not enough bodies for the amount of games that we had. And, uh, you know, when, when officials are tired, they they believe they're moving their, they believe they're moving in, in coordination with the play where they should be. And they're not, and because they're not, they're not seeing things, they don't react. And, and, and we, and we had a bit of a messy game on, on Sunday and, and, you know, part of the blame is on us management people. And we've addressed that and we're, we're going to change that because, um, the, the U18s at, at this level are way too fast. We, we can't have working multiple games uh, in, in succession because the, these kids, it's, it does a disservice to the game. Well, it's like anything. When you're tired, whether you're a player, an official, you're a broadcaster, you're not thinking straight and, and you're not at your best. And so uh, it's the same thing with us. We, you know, you do three or four games in a row, you don't have much of a voice. You don't sound that good in a game. And that's for us is, is bad performance. So I, so I get it. Fatigue is is that. Um, uh, the JPHL officiating system is, is a little bit different than others. What are some of the things that, that you like uh, that are kind of individual with the officials in the in the way you guys do it in the JPHL? Well, uh, I've structured the rule book. So, um, I mean, as in any rule book, we have enough rules in the rule book that if a player needs to be thrown out of a game, we've got a lot of ways to do it. Um, in previous years, um, I think we relied too much on being punitive rather than teaching and when I got involved with the HSL and we morphed into the JPHL, we were all about teaching. We were all about teaching that. And, and that's what I really enjoy about uh, this whole group uh, with the JPHL and the HSL. We're, we're about teaching. And when they came to me and asked, asked, asked me to put together a rule book, I was like, well, how can we start to teach? And I just went back to when I first started uh, refereeing is we had a lot of rules where, you didn't kick kids out for acts on the ice if they didn't need to be thrown out. The rule book now basically is if it's something severe, you throw the kid out. Though I brought in some, uh, I brought back some penalties where you can have a major penalty and keep the kids in the game um, with the philosophy being that sometimes good hockey plays end up with a bad result. And a lot of times uh, a, a checker, is doing everything we ask him to up until the last moment when the person he's going to check does something that they normally wouldn't do, which puts the checker in a bad position. And it's not, it, it, it's not his fault that he hits him say from behind or throws him by, you know, uh, violently into the boards and the kid can't protect himself. Now in saying that it's like, we don't want that play in the game. So we understand that, he was doing everything we asked him to in the rule book up until the last moment. So his intent wasn't to do that. So we're going to keep him in the game. We're going to sit him for five minutes and hopefully the coach can get to him when he comes across the ice and make that a teaching moment for him to say, Hey, this is how you do this differently versus throwing him out because in two days at practice, um, he's not going to remember what he did. All he's, all he's going to remember is, yeah, I got thrown out for a hit and I don't know what I did wrong. So um, I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, I really like about the JPHL. The other thing with our referees is we're trying to get them to work all in unison. Um, we're, again, we, we've gone from calling ourselves a referee association to a referee academy because um, academy, um, we feel, denotes a teaching aspect. And whether we have a 12-year-old kid, a 21-year-old kid that's got aspirations going to the National Hockey League, or we have a gentleman that's 55 years old that just loves the game and wants to get out there with the kids, they all can still learn. I'm still learning. I, like, uh, you know, I have 30 years of pro experience. doesn't mean I know everything about officiating. I learn every weekend from some of our guys, and that helps me become a better supervisor, a better mentor, which in turn makes our officials better. And that's the direction that uh, our whole academy is about is, is, is teaching and, and getting better. 
And that, you know, is all about developing, you know, developing players for the JPHL. That's a goal. I'm trying to develop broadcasters. You're trying to develop officials and things like the new rule changes, the hybrid icings and some of the other things allow players to be prepared and officials for the next level. Because ultimately, as you as you mentioned, we need more officials. And that's what we're trying to do is teach and develop, whether it's a player, a broadcaster, a scorekeeper or an official, which scorekeepers are officials. Yeah, and uh, you know, the I, I I started looking at some of these new rule changes last year, and I started doing some charts in some games, and and found out that, you know, especially at the JPHL level, these kids again they're so skilled and they're so good, is we're having unnecessary stoppages when we could have very exciting plays whether it's a guy beats a guy out on an icing and does a wraparound or a goalie sees a line change on what would be a normal icing in, uh, in what Hockey Canada has or Hockey USA has right now, he comes out, makes a 180-foot pass, and now they're on a breakaway. Um, these are and, and the sooner we can get these kids understanding that, I believe that when they go to the next step, when they go to try out at a junior camp or stuff like this, they've already gone through that process that they're going to be introduced into. They've already, they already know it. So it's instinctive for them versus them learning it. So they just react instead of thinking and reacting. And it makes them a better player. It makes our officials better because they've already gone through it. So when they get there, they understand what the protocols are and they understand what some, some of the cool things that can happen with these things. And I, uh, my personal opinion, I believe it just makes the game better. It keeps the game going. The kids are actually playing the game longer because we're keeping the puck in motion. I, I totally agree. I was watching. I really paid attention for the first time to that exact thing you're talking about. The races for the puck that kept the play alive. And listen, it's early in the season. I, lots of times I thought it was going to be an icing and I started to go write something down and I'm like, oh wait, the hybrid icing. <laughs> you know, the the officials, the broadcasters, the only person that doesn't make a mistake apparently is my wife. So that's that's the only person that, <laughs> that never makes a mistake. So we're all uh, able to make mistakes. But I love that it sped up the game a little bit. Those Some of those races and it kept the flow going and that's exactly what they're going to get at the next level. So I agree. I think that's one of the best things about the early season so far. Um, what about advice for the next generation? What advice would you give to somebody interested in becoming an official? Uh, right now, uh, the best advice you can get is, and, and I tell this to parents and kids, and uh, when I when, when I go and talk at uh, different events is, when you're an official, we're like an apprentice out there. The only way that we can get better is by working on our craft. Uh, we don't get practices. We don't get stuff. Our, our, our games are our practices, and our practices are our games. So work as much hockey as you can. It doesn't matter the level because if you're a junior A referee, or if you're a junior A linesman and your aspirations are at some point you want to referee, go back and, and referee Pee Wee and Tiny Mite. But when you do that and, and you have somebody that's mentoring you, uh, especially on the referee side, is, is go back into your notes and see what kind of advice that they've given you. And if it's like work on your end zone positioning, the best place to do that is, is, is in the Pee Wee game or the Tiny Mite game because they're not as quick. You can still use the same sight lines and, and guidelines as you would if it was an older group, but you get to practice it. And the more you practice it, the more it becomes instinct. The more it becomes instinct, the more it becomes muscle memory. The more it becomes muscle memory, you don't have to think about it. So now you're actually doing it without thinking. So your, your complete focus is on the play and the players. And because of that, you're getting better sight lines. You're, you're seeing the whole play instead of a half play or a little bit of a play. So you're making better judgments. And it works out that you become that much better an official, but you just need to work games. And that, that would be my advice, work games and work hard. 
Um, you need to you, you need to practice and work hard. This the the whole new generation of hockey, and it's not going to change anytime soon. It's all about skating and and movement, and we need to have that same kind of mentality now. Is it's it's about skating, getting up into the play, getting back to the play, getting to the net, getting to the corner, getting out of the way, following it up, and and, and just just doing all that kind of stuff. And if you're doing it with muscle memory. Your complete focus is, is is on the game, and you you become you become a very good official. Oh, Mike, this has been a great conversation. Love seeing you in the rink uh, uh, whenever I can, and chatting with you. And you're always open and, and honest with me, so I appreciate that. And uh, this has been a really fun chat. Uh, enjoy uh, some some downtime. We we relax a little bit. Uh, we get into just one showcase, uh, so it's so it's a little bit easier on all of us for the next little while. But thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Dean. It's always a pleasure seeing you, and I appreciate the time. Uh, that was a really fun conversation. We also did one-timers uh, with Civi this week, so that will be up on SilentIceTV.com, and you can find it wherever uh, you get your podcasts on all of the podcast networks. SilentIceTV.com is, of course, home to the JPHL, the HSL, and special events like the Challenge Cup, the NORAM Cup, and much more. Uh, you can watch live games. You can catch up on what you missed when it comes to the JPHL and episodes right here of Game Changers and For Vengeance Media is proud to be the official broadcaster of the JPHL and the producer of all the games and we're also the producer of Spruce Grove Saints and we consult with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, next week, hoping for a two-time Stanley Cup champion, also one of the top women's hockey players in the world and commissioner of the HSL, that's the Hockey Super League, uh, Tyler Woke. And much more. Jason Strudwick and I also chatted about him coming on the show at some point as well. So that will be a lot of fun. Just like today's guests were Mike Civic, a 30-year NHL linesman, over 1,800 games. And Tally Campbell, the vice president and general manager of the Coquitlam Express. Thank you so much for joining me on Game Changers. I'll be out in Delta, BC. The next time I talk to you, we'll be on the broadcast. Thanks for watching, and we will see you at the rink.